And hello, I'm Dave Wagner. Welcome to another episode of... Come on down! <laughs> yeah, I can barely get out of my mouth because I'm hearing a terrible echo in my ear. Yeah, did I? <laughs> It's our IFBs today. That's Dave Wagner. <laughs> yeah, and this is Rich Fields right here. Uh, this is really a podcast about uh, everything bells, buzzers, all things game show related. All things game shows, and not just the Price is Right. As you well know, if you've watched, this is our 19th episode. How about that? We have covered many uh, wheel of fortune i can't even name them all that we've covered so far so there's been a lot last week we had uh, bob going on bob was terrific uh and uh you know and, and if you've missed previous uh, podcasts you've missed really important information like uh famed producer roger dopkowitz here and uh what his dog is like uh <laughs> And, and, and other important questions. Well, that, that was that was David Ruprecht that went and got his dog. That's true. We haven't we haven't found yeah we have not. We have, Roger, do you have a dog? Let's what, bring it. Let's Roger. introduce him, ladies and gentlemen. Roger Dobkowitz, come on down. <laughs> All right. <laughs> hey, Roger. Hi. I'm Glad doing good. Thank you. I'm doing good. And I, I, before we get started, Rich, I do have to say one thing. Uh, this is great what you're doing. Oh, I'm uh, glad you enjoy it. This is, this is great because your game shows and the Price is Right is they're really unappreciative in the world of, of culture and pop, and, and you have you're, you're bringing on people like me and other people on Price and other people on game shows telling stories, and it's great. I think it's just great, and. Uh, you're doing a great job, and I, oh, and I really appreciate it. Well, last time we talked to Roger here, uh, he informed us that the reason he got hired in the industry was he did this thesis, this historical study of game shows, and that helped him get hired, which is a, an amazing thing and a lesson to all of us. Right. Uh, when in doubt, write a thesis, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. Mark Goodson came to Mark Goodson's yeah, uh, attention. Go ahead, Roger. It got it got Mark's attention. I mean, I mean, you're here was a, a young man who wrote a thesis on game shows. You know, this, I mean, I was when I was ten years old, I was making up game shows at home, and my friends came over. And we used to play them. I mean, I took game shows seriously, and Mark Goodson thought, "Oh my God, there's somebody else like me." I had heard that on Mark Goodson's desk, he had all kinds of little wooden and tiny little games that he would look at and try to make game shows out of. Oh. Is that true? He, his philosophy of making a game show was to take something that we find fun in life and, and try to turn that into a game show. You know, not just a puzzle or something. What do we find fun in life? And turn that into a game show. And that was his philosophy with games. Yeah. That's awesome. I wrote a, a thesis when I was in college, how to become a U.S. president. But I have not become a U.S. president, <laughs> Roger, so that might have been a little too lofty. <laughs> There's still hope, Dave. Okay, good. <laughs> I love the, the long pause, which did not give me a lot of comfort there. I thought perhaps at some point no, I, you might chime in and say, I figured Dave, you're, you know, you're not... You're not you're not 80 yet, so you got a lot of time. Okay, thank you, thank you for that. Okay, uh, Roger, last time we left you, it was wait, a cliffhanger. Last time, I'm coming <laughs> yeah, on down yeah. with Rich <laughs> There should be a voice guy in there. there oh, if only we had a voice <laughs> guy. So last time we left you, Roger, it was a cliffhanger because we were 
asking you lots of questions. And frankly, we just ran out of time. It went on and on and on, and it was all terrific. But when we left you, we were about to ask you a question of uh, Bob Barker versus Drew Carey. The differences, what you see as the strengths and what you see as the weaknesses between those two. Give us some insight. What do you see the difference between Bob, Care, uh, Bob Barker and Drew Carey? I'm, I'm going to give you the total insight of the difference between those two. Over the course of the years, I've met a lot of people who still watch The Price is Right. But they say things like, oh, I still watch it. Uh, but Drew, I don't know. I, I just don't know. Uh, something about him. Oh, I can't connect with him. And t this is a reason why people can't connect with him. The show, any show, has two audiences. We have the studio audience and we have the home audience. And they have different needs. Now, Bob would come through the door, he would bow to the audience, and he loved his audience. He just loved the studio audience. But then he would turn to his left and say, Welcome to The Price is Right. And over there was a camera with a cameraman and a lens. But he didn't see that. He saw the t 5 to 10 million people watching the show. And those were the people he wanted to please most of all. Because they were the one that watched the commercials, that helped our ratings. They were the ones he was going to please. And he figured out, I mean, he knew what their needs were. What were their needs? Their needs were, they wanted to play a game. They weren't watching because of Bob. Bob knew that. They wanted to play a game, play along. And he realized that. So if you notice Bob's when he does a game, he briefly explains it, and then he narrates it. Like if somebody picks $7,000, he'll say, okay, you have picked $7,000. If that prize is $7,000, you're going to go home with everything. So he's constantly explaining the games. People at home have no trouble of knowing what's going on. He also realized people want some excitement at home. So that's why he developed that Barker tease where he says, okay, let's see if it's $7,000. Oh, wouldn't it be exciting if it is? Wouldn't <laughs> it, your, 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 your husband would be so excited if you come home with that. Okay, let's see what, what it is. Oh, I think he would be just, he would tease that. That's a lot of excitement. Yeah. The king of the and tease. And then the, big, the, the Barker tease. And then the big thing he realized he, he made these contestants a star. He wanted people at home to like them because when the game was finally concluded with either a win or a loss, you felt something. Even if they lost, you'd feel, oh my God, that poor guy, he's a mailman from Chicago. He drove across country with his family in the car. He watches every day and he lost. They felt something. So Barker was really working towards the home audience. Now, Drew, and this is my opinion, uh, but I have, I have reasons to know. I can give examples after I finish here. Drew comes out. He says hello to the audience. He turns left to the camera. Over there is a camera with a cameraman and a lens. And that's all he sees. He doesn't see the five or 10 million people. He sees the 300 people in front of him. Well, he learned that because he was a stand-up comic. 
He wants to please those people. Now, why are they there? They're there for a different reason than the home viewers. They could have stayed home and watched the show and had a wonderful time with the drama and the humor and the fun. They're there because they want to be a contestant. They want to get up on the stage. They want to go home and win a car. That's why they're there. Matter of fact, while they're watching the game on stage, I would say probably 90% of them are thinking, when will this game be over so they'll call the next contestant? Because I think it'll be me. I hope it's going to be me. That's exactly right. That's what they're thinking. That's what they're thinking. So this is what Drew is playing towards. Uh, he, he, here, here are the three examples that really that I had to put up with when I was training him. The first example is this. Um, and CBS and Fremantle came over and said, they said, Roger, tell Drew that when they lose... Make a bigger deal out of it. He just, he just throws the contestant away as soon as they lose. Boom, they're gone. Hmm. So I went up to him and I said, Drew, he said, make a fuss. Say, oh, you lost. Oh, I, you should listen to your wife or your, your blah, 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 blah. He says to me, he says, no, Roger, I don't want to do that because it, it'll make him feel worse. Hmm. And I'm thinking, this is not what the show's about. The, the contestant. Second, that wheel. Every wheel, he would say, anybody want to say hello to? He would say that every time. Every time. And I went up to him and I said, Drew, ask them a different question. Ask them, what are you going to do with the money in case you win? Who's out there in the, in the uh, audience cheering you on? Who got the tickets? Say something else. He says, no, Roger, this is the only chance they get to say hello to somebody on television. Hmm. So what do we get? Every wheel we get pronouns that don't mean anything to us. They say, I want to say hello to my mother, my father, my daughter, my sister, to Mary, to Jane, to Dylan, to Amanda, to Rebecca. They say, and all the home viewers they just hear the same pronouns over and over and over again. Doesn't mean anything to the people at home. And then finally, what really got to me, what really got to me was he would let the contestants take as long as they wanted to make a decision. If they, they were playing a game, and he would just, he would stand there. Literally, he would stand there for five minutes while they're making a decision. We would have to cut, cut it all out, of course. And I said, Drew, you can hurry them along. Hurry them along. You know, tell them uh, Young and the Restless wants to come in into the street. They're banging on the door. Make a joke out of it. He says, no, Roger. He says, no, because if I rush them, they might make a mistake. Oh, now, man. every, I'm sorry, every game has a time limit. Every game. Now, you might say, oh, well, I play Monopoly, there's no time limit. Uh, I play um, uh, cards, there's no time limit. Yes, there is. It's the other player. It's the other player will give you a certain amount of time. And then all of a sudden, they'll start tapping their fingers and bring it, breathing in it. 
in and out really hard oh, and start saying very <laughs> matter. Yeah, un- until the person says, you know what? I'm not playing with you any longer. I'm done with you. You take too long. I did that one time. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. I did. And see, time limits create tension, anxiety. And you want to see that in the contestant. You don't want to just see the contestant calmly there trying to decide what to do. See, he's just totally playing to the studio audience. He tr- he wants to be their friend and, and give them what they want. Right. And he doesn't pay attention to what home viewers want. There, I'm done with my dissertation. What, was he trying to be the un-Bob Barker, sort Probably. of the alternative to him? Well, you know, Bob gave him Bob gave him the right instruction. Bob said, "Drew, be yourself. Of course, be yourself." But within, but Bob left out within the limitations of being a game show host. Drew just thinks, "I'll just be myself. I used to be a stand-up comic in front of the audience. I know how to do this, so I'm doing this." That that's, in my opinion, is what he's thinking. I took a uh, screenwriter's course back at college one time, and there were three, four things that were absolutely had to be in a movie or to set up a movie. And one of them is a time constraint. The bomb is going to go off in New York Hmm. City. The cops need to know I have 59 minutes to get this done, the length of the TV Hmm. show. So time... A time constraint is really valuable. I'm, sh- yes. I'm kind of shocked that he actually said no to you about that. Oh, yeah. He he literally would stand there five minutes, just yeah, standing there with his hands in front of him, waiting for the decision. <laughs> I remember. Who do you think would have been a better host than Drew Carey? <sighs> dun, dun, dun. In my opinion, almost anyone. We had tried a lot of people, and they were, in comparison to Drew, they were wonderful. We had, um, the very first person we tried out was David Price, who was a weatherman at CBS in New York. He was a friend of, of Moonless, so that's why he got he got the first first choice here. And when he did his run through, he was very good. But what he suffered from was he was the first one to try out. And of course, people thought there must be other people. Right, he's no Other Bob. people. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, he, and then we had, we had uh, Mario Lopez. He did a good job. We had George Hamilton, of the people we tried out, George Hamilton was my favorite. George was fantastic. Wasn't he? The audience loved him. It was fantastic. They just loved him. Didn't yes. he? Didn't you do two shows? Didn't you try out twice? He did two. He yeah. did two because he wanted it really badly, and he also was friends of Les Moonves, and 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 Fremantle didn't like him very much, but he begged Les Moonves to give him another chance, and he got another chance. Um, I even pleaded for uh, George Hamilton. George Hamilton's problem was. He, he he couldn't memorize games. He was used to being an actor, so he had to have everything on cards. You remember that, Rich? I think yeah. I always had to hold up cue cards for 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 um, George. And um, 
And I said to the head of Fremantle, who didn't want him, I said, I'll work with him. I don't care how long it takes. I will work with him totally, day in and day out, and we'll get him up to par. And she, and she said, no, I don't like him. No, I don't like him. So he was out. Um, and so almost any of them was, yeah. almost any of them. I, you know, I, in my opinion, almost anyone was better than Drew. George Hamilton uh, asked me for my phone number during the auditions. You know, doing these shows, we're, we're, we're being as collegial as we can with sure. each other. I'm trying to make things easy for him. Roger's trying to make easy. Everybody's trying to make. So anyway, you, you kind of get friendly as this process goes on. And George Hamilton asked me for my phone number. And he actually called my house. And I wasn't there, and he left a message. Hey, this is George Hamilton. Hi, Rich. Give me a call back. Here's my number. Let's go to, uh, it was that hotel on Wilshire there, right in Beverly Hills, a famous place. Let's go have a drink. Well, I didn't get back to him in a day or two, and we had already come back to taping. And the showrunner at the time got me off to the side. You know who I'm talking about. And he said, don't you ever call George Hamilton. I said, what? I hear you're trying to get in touch with George Hamilton. I said, well, quite the opposite. George is trying to get in touch with me. D don't you call him back. You have no business talking to him. <laughs> Can you believe that, Roger? Oh, no, I believe that. That guy was a jerk. You know exactly what I'm talking about. He was a jerk. He was an idiot and a jerk. That's my opinion. And I can say that because I'm a professional. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, real quick, while we're on professionals, I want to show you a photograph. This is the best photo of you I have ever seen, the most professional photo I've ever seen. Patsy Dunn was the photographer. Wow. Where was this taken, Roger, and why? This was taken when um, they were doing that uh, the Perfect Bid documentary. Oh. And, gotcha. and, and the director sent down some people take my picture and to interview me and she took that and I, I had to agree it was a pretty good picture of me <laughs> so distinguished I mean wow yeah, I, I'm jealous look like a Hollywood star yeah. there Roger totally yes I, I, I should yeah maybe I'll maybe I'll go into acting now maybe I'll take the older part <laughs> maybe that's good you know Roger we should before you we move on here because we've got a ton of questions for you but I'm looking in the background here over your right shoulder, there is a uh, some sort of collage or something with Waffle House on it. What's the meaning behind that? Oh, oh, I love Waffle House. Plain and simple. I just love That's Waffle House. When, when we're on a trip, I see a Waffle House for breakfast. We got to go there, even for dinner. I love the I love the servers. I love the waitresses. I, I got to sit right up close where where they're serving. I talk to the waitresses, and and I, I just love their food. I love the whole environment. I do. That's fantastic. <laughs> I, I love that. And also, off to your left shoulder there, we see what looked like maybe five Emmy awards. Now, did Bob Barker give you one of those? He did. And can, Bob gave me one of them. Can yes, you can Bob. you bring it up to the camera and show us? Uh, Without I have well, I have more than these, you know. I have I have yeah. some more downstairs. Yeah, he has so many. Wow, his own. I don't, 
I don't the even know where Bob's at here or not. Might be in the living room. It's ah. it's always the one when people, when people come over and they see my Emmys and I, and I and I, I have to drop Bob Barker's name. I say, do you want to touch the Emmy that Bob won? That's and awesome. that's the Emmy that I'm gonna touch. That's the awesome. one that Bob won. They don't care about mine. They want to see the one that Bob won. You're the same way. You two are the same way. You only cared about the Bob Barker Emmy. Speaking of Bob, shortly after we did our interview with you, bam, it hit the internet that Bob's girlfriend, Nancy, was coming out publicly for the first time in decades to talk about Mr. Barker. Do you know what I'm talking about, Roger? Have you seen any of this? No, I no, I did not see any of this. No, This was on CBS.com. This was everywhere. And she felt the need to come out and say, hey, for a 98-year-old guy, he's doing great. You know, he has these problems, he has this problem, he has that problem. And I wondered, like, was it just a coincidence with the timing? Because you and I just got done talking about with Dave about Bob being wheelchair-bound and being cut off from everybody. And then all of a sudden, Nancy goes public with all this info for the first time since I've been associated with the show, 2004. And I just thought that was odd. You know, what are your thoughts it, about that? It, it, it could be. It, it, she might have, I mean... People have always asked me how Bob is doing. And he is 98 years old. And for the longest of time, he was, do he was, doing, he was doing great. But he's 98, and he had that terrible back accident. And I think I mentioned that he was confined in bed. And people began to get the idea that, is he still confined in bed? How is he doing? And I think probably Nancy heard about that and said, I have to come out and just set the record straight. Stop these rumors. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, let's go back to the day, your last day at The Price is Right. Um, and I don't even know if this happened on the last day, but I'm talking about the farewell party for you. Oh, the farewell party. I think that the last day I went to the studio. That was, that was, oh, okay, go ahead. What, what's going the through party. your head? You know, everybody's over there. Drew's over there at Wood Ranch, or where I forget where we were. I can't remember where the party yeah, was. Yeah. Bob was there. Right. The yeah. entire staff was there. What's going through your head knowing this was your last hurrah? What's so funny is, that, you know, I, I left very suddenly. It was one of those things you see in movies sometimes where they say, uh, thank you for your 40 years of work, <laughs> but you're done. Please clean out of your office and go. It was pretty, pretty similar to that, and I left the show, and um, it was kind of a shock to be to be let go because I thought I did a great job. I did all that work helping Drew learn seventy two different games. I got the budget right down to zero, so it was a really big surprise when they said we're going to take the show in a different direction. And I left, and um, I was fine. I was, I really was quite fine. Because I, I know this, I was lucky enough to last that long. And uh, and I was talking, a couple of weeks go by, and i talking to uh, Sue McIntyre at the office. I said, I didn't even get a caricature. I didn't even get a, a party. And, and I said that uh, in jest, but sort of not. 
And a week where's, my party? where's my caricature? And I got a cartoon drawing of myself, exactly what I wanted. And it was it was terrific to have everybody around. Um, uh, I had a lot of margaritas that day. And um, <laughs> yes, a lot of margaritas that day. And it was really, really nice. Um, in retrospect, in retrospect, I look at certain people there a different way now. Um, I look bet. at Drew Carey. I look at Drew Carey a little bit differently, and um, and so it was a great party. I, I liked it. Uh, you know, Bob made a speech. I made a speech, and, and uh, I, I really loved from everybody. I really, really did and it was a very nice feeling and a very very nice send-off tell folks about this caricature anytime somebody left the show the cbs art department would drop one of these cartoons yes i assume you still have it oh I, oh i still have it and that's what i was upset about about leaving so abruptly is that i didn't get a cartoon i was really <laughs> upset i told bob i said i didn't even get a cartoon <laughs> And and did you so have to pay for it though? I had to pay for mine. No, I <laughs> well, that's because he stole so many things from there. They had to recoup the losses somehow. Oh boy! And and everybody signed it, and it it really was uh, it was a lot of love there for me. I I assume everybody except for one or two probably expressed <laughs> true love towards me. And sorrow that I was—I left so abruptly. Roger, we know what but, an amazing person you are here, um, and a lot has been written out there about how this all went down, how you left the show. Did Mike Richards fire you? And if that is the case, did you feel um, anything no, when Mike Richards on, lost you know his what? gig? That's, that's on Wikipedia. I don't yes. know where that came from. I don't trust Wikipedia anymore. No, nobody and should. You know what, don't believe what you read on I, Wikipedia. I even, I even, you know, how everything's supposed to be annotated on Wikipedia with the little number there where you can find it and everything. And it said, uh, Mike Richard fired Roger Dobkowitz. And there's a little number there. And I looked down to where the reference is. That was never in the reference. Somebody just made that up. And there is no reference. You look at that source. It's not in the source. So Wikipedia can really, really be wrong sometimes. I was, I was, Mike Richards had nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing to do with it. Um, I was, when I was let go, like I said earlier, it was quite a shock and surprise. Because I thought I did a great job. I just thought, this is wonderful. I thought everybody uh, loves me and I, they think wonderful of me. So I was let go rather, rather abruptly, and for a long time I thought, what went down? Who, who really didn't want me? I mean, who, who was the person behind it? And I have no 100% facts, and this is just my detective's sleuthing. Um, Drew at first said, oh, I had nothing to do with this. I had nothing to do with this. Okay, that was fine. And then somebody, uh, I saw an interview in one of the trades where they asked the, um, the head woman of CBS, the top 
woman of CBS at that time, I forget her name, and they asked her about it, and she said, she said, it was up to Drew. Drew wanted, Drew wanted to bring his own people in. Now, between those two people, who had a reason to lie? Certainly not the top woman at CBS. She has no reason to lie. So I just sort of figured it out myself, who really didn't want me there anymore. Hmm. Yeah, Wikipedia. Which is fine. Because, Wikipedia you know says what? I was fired. I was never fired. Oh, my really? Contract, my contract came to an end, and they didn't renew me. I wasn't yeah. fired. Yeah. Oh, well, you got to go in there and change it. You know, I, I do it. <laughs> People in my age group don't know how to change Wikipedia. So, <laughs> so I'm pleading with, with some of my fans and your fans out there, please go into Wikipedia and change it to the truth. Yeah, good idea. Thanks. I went into Wikipedia and did my own entry there on Rich, okay. saying Rich stole 6,422 <laughs> items from The Price is Right. Oh, boy. There's a question oh, really? about that this week, as a matter of fact. All right, we, we got a lot of viewer questions. We'll get back to what we want to ask you, but let's let's go through some viewer questions real quick for Roger. Okay, here you go. All right, this is from uh, Rob Montreal, Roger. Could Roger give his take on what caused the rift feud between Janice, uh, Dion, and Holly? When did it start? What caused it? What effect did it have on the working environment on set? Is that something you can oh, comment some, on? Some, some, some of the backstage gossip. Okay. okay. You know, Janice... Janice is wonderful. She she was never really involved with any of that stuff going on back. She was such a professional. We all loved her. She stayed out of that stuff. It was mainly between Holly and Diane. Diane, Holly, I found in my opinion, Holly to be a little bit of a troublemaker, a little bit of a gossip monger. Um, she didn't like Diane. Um, we had she had problems with she, she thought Diane was giving off a, 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 a bad halo effect she wouldn't even stand next to Diane in, on, the, on the stage because she wow. was giving off bad, bad really director got mad at her director had to go down and talk to Holly and say you're going to stand where I'm telling you where to stand and she didn't like Diane maybe she was Maybe she was jealous of Diane for having like the secret affair with Bob. She she loved Holly loved going around saying, "Oh, Diane's having <laughs> this is real backstage gossip." She'd go around saying, "You know, Diane, uh, Holly, uh, Diane's having an affair with Bob. You know that, didn't you?" I said, "Oh, I didn't know that." Yeah, he she is, and, and that was that was the riff, and it did cause a problem, uh, especially when when Holly didn't want to stand next to Diane. Um, yeah, Holly was a little bit of a gossiper and everything. Well, so. how much of that was a secret? I mean, there are shows where the doors open and Bob is full on kissing Diane. I mean, it it wasn't a secret for long, was it? Well, it was a secret to what extent their friendship went. Their their friendship went pretty deep. <laughs> Gotcha. And and okay. a lot of that okay. that pretty deep friendship was like kept secret. And I I mean I was close to Bob. I mean I knew they were friends, Diane and Bob, but I didn't really realize they were like having an uh, affair, whether serious or 
I mean, I don't know how serious, but they were having uh, a, sort of like an affair, you know. And when it all came out, uh, I said to Bob, at first, when it came out that, that Diane was going to expose everything, and Bob was like, oh, no, they're going to expose me. This is terrible. And I said, Bob, this is great for you. I said, this is, this is going to make you even more popular. And he looked at me and said, are you crazy, Roger? I said, no, people are going to say, wow, that Bob, he's still, you know, he's still got it after all these years and everything. He's and a stud. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> I, you know, I was right about many things. I was the first one to say, Bob, you're an icon. He said, an icon? I said, yeah, you're an icon. You've been on TV for all these years. You're an icon. And that was like the first time he ever heard himself referred to as an icon. And of course, afterwards, a lot of people call him an icon. Right. Hey, Roger, so, quick question for you. Yeah. Who were Bob's closest friends who were celebrity friends or famous people? Who did he hang with? Well, he 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 didn't hang with too many. He was he's a very solid solitude person, but um, I was <laughs> I was in his off in his in his dressing one day, and he's talking to somebody. Well, Jimmy, I'm going to I have I have to go now. The show's going, Jimmy. Okay, so it's okay. And he's talking to somebody, Jimmy. And I said, I said, oh, who's that? He said, that's Jimmy Stewart. Wow. And I said, you're talking to Jimmy Stewart. You're friends with Jimmy Stewart, <laughs> and and it, and it really blew my mind. Uh, I don't he he uh, he he hung around with the clo I mean the closest friend of, of a celebrity he had was the uh, the karate expert. What's his name? God, I can't think of his name right now. Chuck Norris. He had his own strip. Yes, yes. He was close with Chuck Norris. He enjoyed his company, uh, but otherwise. Bob was one of those people that, in the evening, he went home and he didn't really hang around with anybody. Hmm. No. Um, we just touched on models real quick. Let me ask you, any favorite model for you? Oh, favorite models. <laughs> they were, there, there was, there was, you know, I love Brandy, Gina Lee, I love Gina Lee. Uh, I, I probably can't, uh, uh, I don't have all the names in front of me right now. If I'm leaving you out, I'm, I'm sorry. You know what three, between Janie Ho Janice Holland and Diane, any favorite there? Oh, uh, Janice. Janice. Janice was Janice was so professional. She was just professional. Diane was really, really nice to me. I, I can't, I can't slide her. Diane was, she was so nice to me. Um, Holly was the only one, um, I had trouble with, um, but Janice and Diane—they were both good. Janice is just the utmost professional. I just admired her so much for that. Um, Kathleen Bradley, thoughts? Oh, Kathleen Bradley was a, a, a great model too. She was. She was also. I'm judging everybody how nice they are to me. No, <laughs> Kathleen. Was, <laughs> isn't isn't that the way though? That, Isn't that human nature? That's the most important thing. They were nice to me. <laughs> oh, Kathleen was really, really nice to me. She took her job very seriously, so I, I really enjoyed her company, too. She's on the show next Monday, Halloween Monday, the 31st. Oh, good. She'll have, she'll have great stories. 
Um, you she know, said she's got something juicy to lay on us about you, and I'm really interested to know what that is. Oh, happens. I said I want to hear it. Yes. <laughs> All right, another question for you. All right, this is uh, Alex Zerl. Roger, are you a fan of Adam Sandler with the way he is running the show, or do you think he has ruined the show? And also, what do you think is the toughest pricing game? We should mention this is not the Adam Sandler that a lot of us know. Correct. Adam Sandler. Yes. Uh, Adam Sandler was originally hired because his dad was the business manager of our show. He graduated from college, and Adam Sandler came on board. We gave him a job as a favor to his dad. And as he worked on the show, he was he was a great worker. He I don't think he ever made mistakes. What anything he had to do, he he never made a mistake. And and I admired him so much. I told him many 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 times. How, oh my God, I wish there were more people like you, Adam. Um, my own, in my opinion, my, my only problem I had with Adam, and this is my, just my professional opinion, <coughs> is that he really didn't get games. He really didn't get game shows. He, he stumbled into Prices Right because of his dad, and he would present games to me as possible games for the show. And, and usually it was like, really there. Uh, I don't think you got the whole, you know, you either have this game feeling show business thing or you don't. And I never felt he had the show business uh, gene or the game gene. He was just a very good worker. And um, I don't think, his directing is is okay. I don't think it's inspired. I don't think it's anything like Paul Alter would have done or Mark Bresler would have done, where they they really know what's needed in directing a game show. So, and there's not uh, much to do with regard to directing now. It's like locked off shots, and everything is edited now. So the the director doesn't mean yes. much anymore, does it? That's right. The whole show's edited in post. Yeah. You know, you go down there, you've got all the cameras on ISO. ISO. Uh, I mean, the old-fashioned directors had to cut between cameras. That's why it gave it a live feeling. That's why you had to do it live, because you only had one, one tape machine going at one time. Now they have five or six tape machines. All the cameras are on ISOs. You go down, you switch between camera to camera. Uh, it's really not directing anymore, I guess. Right. You right. Know? And it's those mistakes sometimes, Roger, that really made the show, those, those moments that were unpredictable, not edited it out. Right. Right. I, and people look for that. I mean, I used to fight with uh, one of our directors uh, whenever there was like, uh, oh, a camera got in the shot. Or uh, there was a stagehand. And I said, you don't have to cut it out. Oh, no, I have to cut it out to make it a perfect show. People don't, you know, it doesn't make us look good. And I used to say, no, leave it in there. It's people want people want to say, oh, I think I saw a cameraman. I think I saw you know, people like that. And so um, that's still you know, I'm sure that I'm sure the way Adam is directing the show, there's no more mistakes. I'm sure he's he's absolutely directing perfect shows with no cameramen seen in the front right. or. Any chance seen in the back or anything like that, and I and I miss that in shows. 
Yeah, I spoke with uh, Bart Iskander maybe a week or so ago. And first of all, we talked about the, both of us the last times we spoke with Bob. And then I told him that you were on the show and about the last time you spoke. And he hasn't spoken with Bob either. As a matter of fact, I think he said he hadn't spoken with Bob since you, Bob, and Bart went to lunch on Hollywood Boulevard at um, Musso and Frank's. Musso and Frank's, yes. And he said that was the last time he saw or spoke with Bob Barker. And he missed him terribly. Yes. How'd you think Bart did as a director? Bart did very good. Bart, Bart learned... Bart learned his skills from Mark Breslow and Paul Alter. Um, and, and Mark was, Mark, Mark Breslow was a great director, and Paul, Paul was an absolutely divine director. He, he, could, he could do anything that seemed impossible. If Bob, if Bob wanted something shot a certain way um, and it seemed impossible, Paul would say, let, let, I'll go home, let me think about it. And Paul would go home, and the next day, the problem was solved. He knew exactly how to move the cameras and where to put them and everything. Bob called him Cowboy. Well, there we are. I'm I showing you the picture, picture right now from Musso and Franks, which I believe is closed now. Gone. No. I think it COVID is? killed it, yeah. <gasps> oh, my God. I'd have to check with some people, but I'm pretty thing? sure that's true. Oh, Look at wow. Cowboy with a full beard. Yes. <laughs> Grizzly Adams. This, well, I, apparently this was at Christmas time because I'm wearing my Christmas outfit. <laughs> well, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell because it looks like you blend into the seat around you there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Another question for you. Okay, this is from Kevin Nero. Uh, how many pricing games did you create, Roger, and what are your favorite pricing games, current and retired? I, I created 18 games. Wow. Wow. 18 games. How many did you create that didn't get on the show? Oh, Any? quite a few of them. Quite a few? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, there's, there, there are a lot of games that, that were... Uh, not accepted by uh, Mark Goodson or Bob Barker, yes. And um, uh, my my favorite game that, that I created, uh, well, I have two. I have my, The first one is Ten Chances, which became one of Bob's favorite games because of the, the anxiety that's produced. There's that time limit, you know, the time limit factor. There's really no official time limit in the game, but time limit, it gets a, it gets a, person going I, I you know matter of fact i don't know how drew handles it maybe drew just stands there and waits forever but and then it's in the bag which became i think bob's favorite game it's in the bag it's in the bag he used to be able to tease the tease the contestant have so much fun with that game and the contestant that became his favorite game how many of the 18 can you name let's let's hear them no i i have a list right here oh, <laughs> let's read it please Let's hear them. Come on. <laughs> okay, now, now, granted, granted, some of these have been retired, but I don't feel that bad if they're retired because I was told by the international person, the person that's in, in charge of the international shows, she said, oh, even if they're retired from your show, they're playing across the season in France or in England. So, so even if they're retired on our show, I, 
I know they're being played somewhere. Okay, I did. I, this is this is very good for my ego, you know. <laughs> <laughs> good. I did Barker's Markers, Check Game, Clearance Sale, Cover Up, Fortune Hunter, Gallery Game. Gas money, the, the the original version of gas right. money. I don't like the, I don't like the way they're playing it now. Don't like the, don't it's like the new anything. Oh, good. Uh, the new uh, the, the, the new balance game. On the spot, pick a number, pocket change, pushover, split split decision, which was a great game, but a lousy prop. Squeeze play, ten chances. That's too much, and the original time is money. Wow. wow, those are those, those yeah. are staples, yeah. man. That or is were. that is fantastic. Now look in the mirror, Roger, and say, "I'm good enough. I'm strong enough, and gosh darn, people <laughs> like me." Yeah, yeah. I'm not a disgruntled old man. <laughs> what do they call you? What do they call I'm, you on the internet? A bitter, a bitter, bitter old man. man. <laughs> oh my gosh! Real quick, I tell oh. you, those anonymous. Those anonymous people are so mean. They can be just so uh, mean. They're hiding their little anonymous names in, in their basement or whatever they are. And they're, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call them fat. I'm gonna call them mean. I'm gonna call them. Uh, yeah, I'm they, gonna, I'm gonna write an entry in Wikipedia about him. <laughs> if they could just see the yeah, money stuffed in your mattress. Go to Wikipedia and just right. say I'm the worst man in the world now. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna ask you about a. I'm gonna ask you about a photo. Ready? Here you go. Yes. Keep calm oh. and carry guns. Roger. I know this is at a gun yeah. range. I, I get that. Yes, it's at a gun. This is, this is when I, I grew up in a family which we had guns. We yeah. went to the rifle range and we practiced. And my brother became a, a very big expert on guns. He's, he works for the volunteer sheriff's department up where he's, he's retired at and I went up and I visited him and we spent some time at the gun range and I got that shirt and I thought that was a real macho picture <laughs> so, I, so I have a lot of copies of it yeah you you look tough in that picture there, there's no doubt about it now you're not facing the target which is a kind of an important first step when it comes to firing the weapon I know but the more important was the stance the stamp, yeah. the you look like you mean business. <laughs> yeah, right, another question for you here. Scott uh, Brad, uh, Badley writes, uh, Hi, Roger, who committed the bigger crime? Rich breaking into CBS studios or whoever gave the okay to paint the big wheel purple? Oh, the big wheel purple, that guy should be on. Well, according to Drew Carey, it was whoever painted the, the purple wheel. I, you know, after, after the show, and they started taking the first shows, he actually phoned me at home and said, Roger, did you order that wheel to be painted purple? And I didn't even know it was painted purple, because huh, I haven't been in the studio. I said, no, I didn't paint it purple. He was furious at that wheel. I mean, you were there at the studio, Rick, so you must have stories of how furious he got. Yeah, was, um, yeah it wasn't a pretty day. And, and I said, no, I don't know. I guess I said, I guess it was Sid Vintage. Meekly, I said, because I think that that's who knowing it was. full well that was the answer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> All I could say, though, I think it was. I wasn't sure. <laughs> and so I am sure that eventually Sid got the brunt of it. I mean, do you have any more to that story? Uh, I just know when the wheel was sitting out in the hallway when we all first came in everyone stagehands grips cameramen everybody were just aghast they were sitting in those seats along the hallway and when i come walking in they were like rich what'd you do to the big wheel and i was like what are you talking oh my god i couldn't believe it it was like barney was sitting out there in the hallway and i said this is, is this the is this the wheel that goes on the road is this the live Price is Right wheel for the stage show? Oh no, this is being used on today's shows from now on. I was like, no, it's not. They're, they're, you guys are pulling my leg. They used to pull my leg. Remember the, the little person that worked on the show, Joe? Oh yes, Joe, I love Joe, yes. When I first got there, they had me convinced that that was Johnny Olson's illegitimate son, and they really laid it on and they had me believe in it. So ever since then, they always messed with me. So I thought they were messing with me about the big wheel. And uh, it was no joke. Yeah, Drew was not happy that day. Not happy. And Sue Mack was going around telling everybody, nobody's allowed to take pictures. Don't anybody take pictures of it. Well, what was the first thing I did? I went out and started taking pictures of it. Why? God, how, how stupid to tell people not to take pictures. They're exactly. going to take pictures. <laughs> oh, I think they knew what a mistake it was, and they were like, we don't want this to get out. But it was too late. I mean, it's a mistake ever telling you to, yes. to not do something. Right. Because if there's a violation of the law in it, that, that's a green light for Rich. Right. <laughs> it's a challenge for me. Yeah, that, that, was, that was the era when they were scared of the Internet because things were being leaked on the Internet. I mean, they've, they've learned now that you, you can't hide anything anymore. Everything's out there. There's no secrets. But they got mad at, at my daughter because... When we were when we were rehearsing with Drew, she wanted a picture next to Drew. Yeah. Took a picture next to Drew, and she put it on her Facebook. You know, and and you could see the new set behind her, and they got pissed off. They said she shouldn't put the picture up there. Everybody now can see what the set looks like before it's before the first show. And 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 this was the era when they were they were scared of what was being shown on the internet um, yeah. you know now everything is on the internet yeah it's the way to leak things now yes yes another question for you this is from uh, greg palmer right here hi roger where do you see the show going in the next 10 years do you want to come back and write the ship you know that's that that do I want to come back? That's one of those fantasy questions I think ex-producers always ask themselves. I mean, producers who have left shows and producers who have been let go, oh, would, would they want me back? Should I go back to write the ship? And, and I, I really have to, I'll have to get, tell you the long answer. The long answer is I didn't create the show, but I was there at the birth of the show. And... And I, sh I saw the show evolve. I learned what worked and what didn't work. Uh, we honed the show to, to a perfect tune, I, I believe, after year after year. We just learned things. And then I left the show, and I would watch it for the first year and a half. 
and it was like, oh no, they're doing that. Oh no, they shouldn't be doing that. That's not good. And it was because inexperienced people were now thinking, let's just do it different. Do it different. And I was dying. I, and I later on, I stopped watching the show. I couldn't take it anymore. And um, and if you say, would I go back to write the ship? Yes, I would. Yeah, good. Good. Yes, I would. You know what? On three conditions. You get a new host, you bring back the audience, and you make it live to tape. That, that, that would be my three criteria. And I don't. none of those are going to happen. They're going to stick with Drew because somebody at CBS just loves Drew. I don't know why or how. The way they got him to do the show, you know, they gave him money. He didn't want to do it. They, so they gave him more money. And they say, you don't have to audition. And so somebody up there likes them a lot. They're not going to bring back, the, you know, the audience is gone, I think, forever. I was just going to ask gonna you if you thought the 300 would ever, would ever be back. No. I, the producer, whatever it is right now, I would wager, of course, nobody's ever 100% sure, but I would wager the producers love it this way. Now, the problem with having 300 people, especially with Drew, was you always had to buy an audience. Right. Um, with Bob, we had a backlog. Seldom did we have to buy an audience to fill in the empty seats. People would wait Around two, three days to get into a Bob show. Right. Yes, you're absolutely right. They would wait. On the As street. You know, no risk. On the street. Overnight. Yes. They would have little tents and, and wow. sleeping bags. Yes. The only time we bought an audience was around Christmas time when people are busy shopping and they're not traveling very much. But with Drew, it started right away. We had to buy an audience. We bought 50. We bought 100 people. Uh, I was told later on that I didn't even know it because I didn't pay that much attention to the audience statistics. But the, the lady in charge of the audience said, oh, we have to buy like 100 people for every show. Now, they're paid like $80 per person for four hours. I think it was $80. Now think about that. A hundred wow. people is that eight thousand uh, dollars? No, it's for yeah, for hundred people it's eight thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Now we do we do a, so each show is eight thousand dollars. We do a hundred shows a year. What is that? Eight hundred thousand? But no, we do two hundred right? shows is that a year. That's right. Oh my! One point six million they're spending on audiences. They don't have to do that anymore. They don't have to do that anymore. They don't have to have ushers to to hurt the audience, people outside, or do hundreds and hundreds of name tags. All these people now, as I understand it, go to the office to apply so the producers can really find out who these are and maybe even direct them how to act. You know, oh, oh, you're great. You know, so make sure when you get on stage you do that silly little dance, you know. Uh, so... I think the producers love this. They'll never go back to 300. It's too expensive, and mm. they have less control. Gotcha. So th- this is sad. I think it's sad because the show, the show, was great with the 300 people. It just was just so good. Yeah, it, it lends yeah. something to the show that you just don't get without it. We're running out of time, real quick. Let's get through some more of these viewer questions, Roger. Uh, uh, Roger David W. Prince writes. Someone asked in a team in a TPIR group on Facebook about the robot that looked like Johnny Olson. It was not seen after Johnny's passing, but what happened to it? And in parenthesis, being that Rich wouldn't become announcer for 19 years, I doubt he has it. Sorry, couldn't help it. Must be a Dave thing. 
<laughs> That's very good. Very oh, good. Very good. I, I've never uh, seen the robot. Yeah, we, we didn't really... It, it was not a very good reveal. I mean, it, the, the robot took moved so slow, and you saw it coming out, so they react, we like instantaneous reactions, like the clam opens up, and your prize is, boom, you know, new refrigerator. Um, so it came out very slowly. We didn't use it that often, and then we just stopped using it. And I am sure with all those electronic parts in it, it was dismantled, and parts were probably used for other games and devices that we made later on. Geez, Roger, we could do a whole other show with you because I've got a whole page of questions. There's probably 20 or 30 more from viewers. I know Dave's got a whole page of questions for you. C can you come back again someday? And you probably want me to do some more gossiping about backstage. <laughs> There's a thousand stories backstage. There's a thousand stories backstage that, you know what? only imagine. As, as I get higher in my age group, I'm ready to reveal. Yes. <laughs> Good for you. I love it. You know, and, and for those of folks who, you know, are out there spreading these these awful rumors that Roger is a disgruntled, angry old man, look how look at his smile right there. Look how friendly he is. You've never been happier, have you? No, I haven't. I you know, I was still on the show, I'd be dead. I swear to God. I, Drew <laughs> would have killed would me. Be. I, I wouldn't have been able to take two years of him. I would have said, I'm, I'm giving up. I'm, I'm going to drop dead right here on the stage. You and your beautiful wife, Valerie, are uh, taking some oh, much-needed yeah. time off to, to travel. You guys have a lot of fun together, don't you? We have a lot of fun together. We do. We do a lot of traveling, and, uh, and sometimes we take our dog with us. What kind of dog do you have, Roger? I apologize for uh, conflating um, dogs here. Oh, I see. Is that your dog? Oh, that's that's our that little dog has passed on. That's uh, that was uh, Moxie. Aww. Yeah, Chihuahuas. We're we're kind of big on Chihuahuas, and uh, they're they're really terrific dogs. Chihuahuas are very loyal. They they and they're great watchdogs because they bark at every noise. That they do. Where where is your dog right now? My dog has been banned to a different room because that dog will bark at a moment's notice and I was not going to let that dog take away attention from me. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, Roger Dobkowitz, producer of The Price is Right, former producer of The Price is Right, uh, 35 years on the show. Wow, thank you so much for being on. Just fantastic, Raj. Really appreciate it. And, and thank you. Thank you, Rich, for doing this show. Thank you for talking to other people of the show and other shows. You're doing a great job and a great service to you, uh, pop culture and everything. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Great okay. talking to you, Roger. Hey, I want to let you know, um, this is available for your listening pleasure on Spotify, Apple Music, any of your other favorite podcast providers yep. as well. The second we get done with this, as soon as we undo the stream, it starts posting to all these other audio podcast providers, so you can listen to us there. Also, Facebook. Facebook, yes. if you want to see the video, and that makes it a lot of fun because you see all these pictures of Roger. Right. Uh, you see uh, pictures of uh, Price is Right models, Bob Barker, all this kind of stuff. Facebook.com slash come on down podcast. Again, Facebook.com slash come on down podcast. Yep, everything is there. Anything we talk about the show, we try to post just about everything we can on there. So uh, check it out when you have a chance. And keep the questions coming, too. We love it. Yeah, we do. Yeah. We do. Uh, next week, Kathleen Bradley. Wow. Fourth model on The Price is Right. 
first model of color, and boy, oh boy, is she a pistol. <laughs> so buckle up and hang on to your seat. She's something else. All right, well, this is going to be fun. It was so nice having Roger here today. He looks great, doesn't he? He looks fantastic. He, 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 he's obviously happy, and you can tell. Yeah, you take away the stress of yes. working on that show, and suddenly you become 20 years younger. He, he, yep. looks, he looks terrific. So uh, we appreciate Roger being with us today. We appreciate you being with us today. Hope to see you next week for another episode of Come On Down. Thanks for tuning in to Come On Down with Rich Fields. See more photos and videos mentioned on this episode, plus interact with Rich on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast or on Twitter at comeondownpod. Have a question for Rich? Use Facebook Messenger to connect on our Come On Down Podcast Facebook page. And remember, new episodes are live every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern.